Ignite your life with passion and purpose. Your health, your wealth, your happiness. Make it good. This is Modern Love with Dr. Brenda Wade. A big thank you to Rainbow Grocery, our favorite grocery store here in the San Francisco Bay Area, for being our sponsor, because a healthy body is a sexy body. Hello, modern lovers. Thank you for being with us today. I'm so excited. Today's show features one of my favorite people who's been an inspiration to me for years, Danian Brinkley. Many of you will remember Danian from his many appearances on the Oprah show and all of his wonderful books. After nearly escaping death, very nearly, narrowly I think that is, escaping death on multiple occasions, Danian Brinkley wrote books about what it's like to begin the journey into the next realm after his NDE's near-death experiences have led him to develop a compassionate attitude toward the dying, and he's transformed this compassion into his 30-plus years of service as a hospice volunteer. And today we're going to learn how those who are dealing with a family member who is seriously ill can navigate the emotional journey and come out with a better understanding of the process of life, and what might be on the other side. But first, here at Modern Love, our goal is to provide you with the tools that you need for optimal health and wellness and your personal transformation. And of course, you all know that the number one thing you can do to have great health is to have a great love relationship. That's why this coming Saturday, May 18th, we're presenting an all-new training, Sacred Sexuality. You're going to have the opportunity to create breakthroughs, best practices, and awakenings, yes, in your relationship with your own sexuality and with a partner. So very, very important that you're here for this full-day training program. It's for everyone Whatever walk of life you come from, whether you're young, seasoned, as I like to call it, LGBTQ or straight, of whatever ethnic or racial background, this training is for you. We're featuring Dr. Nick Delgado, who is the author of a new book, Mastering Love, Sex, and Intimacy. And Dr. Nick is a nutraceutical specialist who helps us understand how to support our body in having optimal libido, sexual response, and he has some great practices he's going to share. Janae Pailet is also going to be here with us, and she has written a new book called Your Living an Orgasmic Life. The book apparently has set off a lot of alarms. She can't even get it in most bookstores or on television because the word orgasm is in the title. Now, come on, people. 
this is modern life. We need to understand about sexual response. And Janae is going to be sharing tantra practices and how to integrate our spiritual selves, body, emotions, mind, spirit, integration in our sexual lives. So be here. Bring a friend with you so you've got somebody as your wing person. You can talk about it afterwards. It's a full day. For more information and to register, grab your ticket right now at eventbrite.com or email us directly at love at docwade.com. And now let's do our Dr. Brenda question. Love your questions. Keep them coming. This one says, I just found out that I'm expecting my third child. Normally, this would be a time to spread the news to my family and friends, but there's a problem. My husband has told me on many occasions he doesn't want any more children. I so dearly want this child, but I don't want to anger or lose my husband. What should I do? Oh, my goodness. My dear, I'm so glad you wrote in. This is a real dilemma, and I wish I could say I'd never heard this before, but it's not true. A lot of couples have unexpected pregnancy. One partner is committed to not having more children. The other partner is very excited to have more children. There's only one thing you can do, and that is to sit down with your husband and, of course, share this news that you're expecting a child and to say, I know this is unexpected. I know it's something that you're not on board with yet. Let's talk about how we can together form a pact to move forward with our family. I really want this child. What does it mean for you to have one more? Here's what it means for me to have one more. You've got to have common cause. And the most important thing is to remember every child that comes into the world brings with them their own purpose, their own blessing. And my mother used to say they bring their own luck because there's seven of us. I think she knew what she was talking about. All right. Many blessings, dear. I have a good feeling that the two of you will be able to work it out. Now, let me tell you more about Mr. Danian Brinkley. He's the author of the New York Times and International Bestsellers, Saved by the Light and at Peace in the Light. His books, his tours, his lectures, all are combined with his wife, Catherine, and they've transformed the consciousness of people around the world, and they've certainly transformed mine. I've had the honor of meeting and working with Daniel in person, in retreats, and found him extraordinarily impactful. The nonprofit he and his wife run, the Twilight Brigade, Compaction in Action trains volunteers to be at the bedside of our nation's veterans. It was nominated for the Heart of Hospice Award in 2008. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Modern Love, Daniel. Oh, and thank you for having me, and thank you for doing the work that you're doing. I mean, it's important that relationships evolve and that couples really have conversations between them. Mm, thank you for that acknowledgement. Daniel. tell us about your journey. Most people know that you've had NDEs. 
tell us about that. What was it like to have a near-death experience? How did it all happen? Well, it's amazing to have a transformative event that makes you really realize who you are. We get so often, Brenda, caught in being human beings instead of realizing we're first a spiritual being and we were that before we became a human being. I grew up a tough guy. United States played sports, fighter, uh, football player, all that stuff, United States Marine Corps. So being from that tough guy mindset, you hit it in the face first before you had a conversation. But I was struck by lightning. I was struck by lightning while talking on the telephone, and I was declared clinically dead for 28 minutes. Wow. And in the course of that, and in the course of that, I discovered that there is a process by which we leave this world. And there is a world after this one, which is literally the world we came from. In the discovery of that, and the realize that there is an event that occurs called the panoramic life review. You will see your entire life pass before you in a 360-degree panorama. You will watch it from a second-person point of view, which shows the true humorous side of yourself. And then you will literally become every person that you have ever encountered, and you will feel the direct results of your interaction between you and that person. I think the greatest lesson that people can learn from the near-death experience is that no one ever gets away with anything. Wow. And that this is a, and that this is a fair and just universe. But, Brenda, you have to take in consideration this. I have been through four of these experiences, and I have been declared dead three times. Oh, my so goodness. Like so you're I'm... struck by lightning. What else Why? has happened to you? Open-heart surgery, brain surgery, open-heart surgery. Oh, my goodness. And what happens is when you have this event occur, and for me it's just like so very often, I'm just as comfortable in that world as I am in this world. But there comes a place where people have to look at what their life is. And this is a euphemism or a Danianism. When you have a life review, the final result, if God could not come today and God had sent you, in the life you will review, what difference did you and God make? Well, with the knowledge that I had of of what is next, the glorious wonderment of returning home, the difference that I could make would be at the bedside of veterans in transition so being for a you, former Marine. Now, let me just back up for a second. So for you, you've gone through four NDEs, and were they all the same? Did you have the same experience each time? Basically structured the same way. There's some variances, and the third one... The third one was a little more remarkable, but not near as remarkable as the fourth one. But there was a difference in the structure in the third one. It was where the place that I would pass what I always call the blue-gray blue place or the in-between place, where you're aware of the world that you're leaving and acclimating toward the world you're going to, returning to, was a slightly different, but basically the same experience. Hmm. So the blue-gray place, kind of walk us through those stages, Daniel, and I'm really curious about this. I'm sure our audience is curious, too. When you first leave the body, and you're like 28 minutes is a long time to be clinically dead. Not many people come back from that. Well, it depends on what your mission is. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
a lot of people go through these experiences and you know you always have to ask this question what did you do with the rest of your life you know and i went from a tough guy to a hospice volunteer and what happens is you lift out of your body and you're completely aware of what's going on but you disassociate most people don't understand that once you let go of this body once you let go of it the your interest in it become and the world that you were leaving becomes less important than the process of returning home um. people always people always get so attached to physical you know and when you hear so much about physicality you don't pay enough attention to when your body goes from a temple to becoming a prison and many people in the course of end of life procedures it becomes a prison more than a freedom but we right. all have a tendency right. to not want to lose that person or have that person taken away from us instead of realizing that transition is a normal part of this existence yeah and for you just for a minute back up with me because i know what you're saying is correct i certainly have lost loved ones it's very hard to let them go it's certainly been my experience that for some of them I was grateful when they did let go because they were suffering. So I understand Agreed. that, but I'm I'm curious, once you let go of the body, you're saying you're completely aware that you're letting go. You're completely aware that you're moving into, is it another level of consciousness? Is it another dimension? What is it that you experience? But in those terms, Brenda, it's another level of consciousness and another dimension. Hmm. You know, those when you start trying to finding words that fit the description, it becomes more quantitative than it, than it becomes scientific or chemical. Mm-hmm. You know, we all believe we all believe we live in a dead universe because we believe in chemistry with the advent of penicillin in 1929 as an antibiotic, and we become chemical beings. But we are spiritual beings. And what what you have to learn in the course of my over 40 years of being a hospice volunteer, more than 33,000 hours at the bedside, and I've been with 2,010 people, you learn to celebrate their life. I created the Twilight Brigade to create ways to structure closure, both for the person that's in transition and for those who remain back here who deal with loss, bereavement, and what I don't like is grief, because grief can carry on for years. Mm-hmm. But you got to remember, too, Brenda, that grief comes from the sense of abandonment. We all feel like someone has abandoned us when we lose them. And so what I hope people focus on is the the fact that you celebrate that life, that that life should be celebrated, that it was either lived a good life or the lessons that they learn or the lessons that they taught. And you take, when they take that last breath, it becomes a celebration because everybody meets everybody again. No one returns without meeting those persons who were most important in their life. So did you have that experience when you had an NDE? Did you meet people on the other side that you knew well, or had gone before? Well to, let you, well, to let you know what kind of person I was growing up, no one came to see me when I came to the other side. But mostly it was that I was coming back. 
You know, I never, ever thought about that I was going to stay there and I was coming back. But in this last experience, I saw my mom, which was, uh, I lost, the, the world lost her and I lost her in 1984. And in three experiences since then, I never had seen her. And in this last experience, I saw her and it was, uh, it was, this, she was about 36 or 37 years old at the age that I saw her and she was happy. So I think that that was a moment realizing what I was about to face being in my late sixties and having to have open heart surgery and all the trauma that comes with what happens in open heart surgery. But when the surgeon got in there, she said the scar tissue and the damage was amazing to her that I had lasted this long because of the damage done by being struck by lightning in 1975. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I wondered if that was related to the lightning strike. So Daniel, everything is everything you... everything is related to the lightning strike. Oh, got it. So one of the things you just said is the kind of person that you were affected the fact that there was nobody to meet you on the other side when you got there. Is that one of the consequences of not living a life with a lot of connection or service? What was that about? Well, you know, a lot of people are met by loved ones, and it's usually a loved one that tells you that it's time to go. I have witnessed this many times of when people are really afraid, someone that they know comes to get them. A parent, a loved one, a grandparent comes to get them. And then I've seen rooms filled with light. They were light beings, so I guess you would say angels. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but for me, it has always been a part of an uh, unfolding educational program. I have a big problem with hypocrisy. And I have to learn to keep my heart open. It's why so many heart surgeries, no matter what the physicality or the or the medical crisis that I'm dealing with, it's just that hypocrisy and what we say we're supposed to do in honor of helping people like medicine and pharmacology and what we're really allowing to happen to the people that we love has always been an issue with me. It's why I fight so hard for the quality of end of life. And when you stop for a moment, Brendan, you realize that 70 cents of every dollar in health care is spent in the last six months of life to extend life just less than 16 days. We have a medical crisis with our identity of leaving this world for, to return home to the next. Hmm. So where would we be spending that money dollar. if we're not spending the 70 cents of every dollar to extend life 16 days. Where should the money be spent? What should we be doing instead? Feeding children, supporting education, teaching Mm. people, like you were saying, to be caring about their bodies, not a temple, not a prison, to take care of themselves, to build strong relationships with each other, just like the program that you're having on the 18th. I highly recommend people come to and talk about these so-called quote-unquote sacred taboos because this is my big crisis and why I wanted to do your show. What I discover in relationships is people in relationships lose the ability to have conversation. 
they don't have conversation about what bothers them, like the lady who had written in and honestly wants to bring another child in this world and a father or a man out working and trying to figure out what world he's bringing those children in and then what it costs to raise a child and is his, is the attention focused on the children and not being focused on him. I've seen this issues when parents lose children and how many relationships survive this kind of incident. And when a husband is losing a mother or a father, the nature of the relationship between the male and the female changes. And when a female is losing her closest mother or father, the inability to create dialogue and conversation and true support of each other tends to have a mistake or an error in that action. So So what you're saying is that one of the key things is for people to be able to have a conversation and to have it in a way, now the words I use are heart to heart. And it was interesting to me, Daniel, because you said, gee, the reason I had all these things going on with my heart is I'm learning to open it. And I thought that was a beautiful beautiful statement because from where I sit, that's what we're all learning is how to live as open-hearted beings. And you're combining three things that are very powerful here. You're talking about the realization that when we let go of the body temple when it's time to pass on, we're going home and we have to have an open-hearted awareness around that, supporting people for getting ready to go home. We have to be open-hearted to support them. And then to be in conversations while we have the privilege of being here with a loved one, to have open-hearted conversations. Of course, in the sacred sexuality class that we're doing, everything is about moving from this open-hearted place. So if you were to give us any advice, from your experience, which has been profound, how can we achieve a more open-hearted state by at the same time being of service and knowing we're going to go home and there's going to be an accounting for our actions and our behaviors while we're here? Not as much of an accounting, but an observation of the successes uh, and not so successes that you achieved. Because when you say accounting, it comes to that that legendary thing called sin, which I am not a big proponent of. Oh, I'm but not Catherine, a proponent either. I'm with you. <laughs> I don't but, believe but, it. But Catherine, but, but Catherine and I have, a, have an event. She's a very magnificently strong-willed, smart woman. Okay, so, and I am not magnificent, but I'm strong-willed. Uh-huh. And so I, I have a thing that, uh, that's now a part of the what the presidency is in the executive branch of the government's called executive privilege. Uh-huh. So if if we're in an issue, she can call executive privilege, and I shut up and listen. Uh-huh. And I think each relationship should have a place that has a timeout. Uh-huh. You know, it's a place where one can declare. I never have to tell her executive privilege, but she has to do it to me like once or twice a day. But that people, well, you know, hey, I think I know everything, and she thinks I don't, and we have to have a get into an argument about it. This is just relationships. But what people need is to have a place that timeout comes in where the other one can be heard. 
and it doesn't matter whether you want to hear it. It doesn't matter if you're angry. It doesn't matter. You stop and you listen. And I think sensuality and sexuality becomes a very a very important component in building a relationship. And people need to take care of themselves because that experience of procreation and the interaction between the intimacy between partners, it, you get so much more aware of that once you leave this world than while you're participating in it. Now, what people do you notice understand. about relationships when you're on the other side? Well, what it is is that you're a part of everything and everything's a part of you. The greatest gift that I have from these journeys is the panoramic life of you. But the even get greater gift is we all want to be recognized and we all want to be known and we all want to be appreciated. Well, when you get back home, it's not a thought pattern. It's an existence. You are known by the most divine, magnificent, loving force that could possibly exist as well as you know that force. When that equal compatibility comes, and what we try to learn in the duality of this reality, what we're trying to learn is that equal identity and respect for each other's sacredness. And once that, that, that is established in equal, an equal relationship in the sacredness, then comes a true, loving, unfolding relationship. So Some once you know that you're in a relationship with another sacred being just like yourself, and that you can honor that other person. You know, Daniel, that takes a lot of emotional, intellectual, and spiritual maturity to see another and human being as equal to yourself, or to generally see all human beings as equal. Or have a near-death experience. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden that becomes reality as opposed to some probable possibility. I have been over there. I have been over there so many times, Brenda, and I've been at the bedside of what's called the shared near-death experience with probably 340 people. Mm-hmm. So now when what's people a shared near-death experience? A lot of times if you are close to a person and they're giving you the intimacies of their own thoughts. You know, somebody people need to share things in the end-of-life process. And mm-hmm. I developed techniques that, like, what is your favorite song and why? So I could take a person back to a moment of celebration, and they can begin to live where they are from that moment and in that celebration of life. Because if you're just in a hospital bed or your own drugs or all you're waiting for is the nurse, there is no continuity and transition that happens. But if you create a point of finding ways to celebrate their life so that they see their life has value and uniqueness and what you learned from them or what they they taught, Mm -hmm. then that person finds comfort in that they made a difference in this world. But, -hmm. you know, keeping your heart open and instead of reacting to people, give it a moment to look at their intent. What are they trying to say first? And more importantly, where did it come from? Yes. Her, the lady's fear about her husband, that's what she needs to explore. She needs, before she starts to tell him, I would add to the conversation, just like you said earlier, what is your grievance? You know, what is the source of you not? And I'll bet you, 
Brenda, I'll bet you it's about he feels neglected. I mean, there is a place as I listen to you read that, and, you know, everybody knows I have that side of me that's very hypersensitive to intended issues. Right. I think it. I think that he feels he would feel more neglected at this particular time and age in their life when he feels like he needs more attention than he's getting. The world and that happens tougher. when couples are raising young children. That's a very common pattern. I've seen it with so many couples I've worked with in our modern love trainings that one person feels their needs aren't met. And sometimes, as you know, Danian, both people feel their needs aren't met. So from the other side, what would be your best take on how couples who are not connecting. You talked about conversations. You talked about executive privilege. You talked about some of the skills couples can develop. And one of them, I think I would add, is what you said about recognizing that the other person is also a sacred being, that we're here together to share a journey. No, absolutely. And people have to remember this. You, and this is an absolute fact, you were chosen to be here, and you chose to be here. Hmm. It's not circumstance or happenstance. You were chosen. And what I get up every day is I celebrate everybody I meet, no matter what, because they chose to be in this world, making a difference in this world at the same time that I chose to be here. And this world is definitely in a transitional period of time. And each of us have to remember there's one thing you can never get back, and that's time. And every yeah. day is a celebration. Every breath is a celebration. And if you don't look at it like that, you lose the joy of the perspective of your potential to be the divine difference in the lives of the people that you encounter. Mm, I love that. Now, we're running short on time, and I have to ask this question. For people who have lost a loved one, a loved one has passed on. I have that situation in my family right now. We've had four losses in the last nine months. What would you say to uh, the people who've just lost a spouse, lost a mother, lost a sister, lost a best friend? Or a pet. Or a pet, pet yes, that's a profound one. For children. Yes. Yeah, for children, because all they give is love. I would say this, you are going to, you're going to experience loss and you're going to experience bereavement. And you know you're going to cry and you're going to miss them and there's nothing wrong with that. But what you have to remember is you have to go back and think through every moment you celebrated with those persons and look at the difference they made in your life, not the loss that not the loss of them departing is making in your life, but the fact that they lived and the fact that they chose to be here and they chose to love you and you chose to love them. Because that transitions every level of consciousness. Love does, has no boundaries. Grief and loss only thickens as it leaves this dimension. It never reaches them. But if you celebrate in love and celebrate that life, they feel that wherever they are. And you can know that that's true. You were chosen and you chose to be here. 
and you chose to come in at the same time and to be a part of each other's life, that is always well worth celebrating. Mm, Take that's your time. beautiful. That is beautiful. Take your time Thank and work you. through it. Daniel Brinkley, you are amazing. Is there anything that you want to say to us about heaven? Is there a heaven? Absolutely. There is no question. And it's where you originally came from before you came here. You came here to be of service. You came here to feel like you're separate from something so that you can identify how to be a divine difference. Everybody comes here. Think of this, and I'll go quick, Brenda, but think about this. Think of everything that people hope God is, loving, caring, compassionate, protective, and understanding. How many opportunities per day do you get a chance to be everything that you hope the divine is? Many times, and not only that, together in union and unity, we can create life. So all of a sudden, in this particular dimension, we are gods. And we come to be gods and to practice being everything that a god is. And that's why I always have my problem about keeping my heart open because people who are hypocrisy, who lie, deceive about We're going to have to leave it there, Daniel. That is a powerful statement that we came here to practice being gods, to practice Agreed. keeping our hearts open. I love that. Thank you so much to Daniel Brinkley. Those of you who have not yet experienced Daniel's books, you know that we're all about books here at Modern Love Training. I recommend that you grab his books, his best-selling book, Saved by the Light, his book, At Peace in the Light. He lectures widely. You can check out the Twilight Brigade, Compassion in Action. They train volunteers to be at the bedside of our nation's veterans. Thank you, Daniel. So appreciate you being here. And everyone. Thank you, Brenda. Oh, loved it. I want you to be with me live and in person this coming Saturday, May 18th, 2019, from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. for Sacred Sexuality, Breakthroughs, Best Practices, and Awakenings with my special guest, Dr. Nick Delgado and Janae Pilet, who have written, or Paylet, excuse me, I have to say her name right, Paylet, who have written great books. And you are going to leave understanding, as Daniel Brinkley just said, that sexuality in every part of our lives has to do with our spirituality and recognizing that we are divine beings having a human experience. So thank you to our executive producer, LeGrand Green, our associate producer, Cliff Dunning, and to all you modern lovers, thank you so much. Blessings. Thank you.